0: Lord, protect me today. Let me be an example. Let me be a leader. Bless me with your righteousness. Let them see you in me. God, I need you right now. Help me out of this mess. Help me take a stand against the devil. Help me stand my ground. Please lead me away from this temptation. Deliver me from this evil. I could have died. Thank you for watching out for me. My life is in your hands. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Jesus, your word says, I can have whatever I pray in your name. Your word says, the power that raised you from the dead lives in me. Heal me, God. Save me from the grip of death. I have faith that your mighty hand can move this mountain. Your servant is ready for battle. With Christ, we have the victory. All right, what's up Liquid Church? How y'all doing today? My name is Nathan, and I have the privilege of serving as the teaching pastor here. Would you just join me in welcoming all of our folks that are watching throughout the state of New Jersey at all of our campuses and those watching online. What's up everybody? So glad to have you guys here. You know, we are in week five of our series SWAT, Spiritual Warfare and Tactics. Congratulations, you've made it to week five. Um, It has been quite an incredible week as people are kind of studying about spiritual warfare. How do we stand in the armor of God uh, against the forces of darkness, the forces of evil that are coming after us, learning in our small groups and beyond? And let me tell you, it's been a phenomenal series as we've been studying the armor. And today we're going to be looking at the helmet of salvation. Now, we've been basing this series on the Roman armor here and right now we've got the Roman helmet. Now, usually you can kind of tell what the Roman helmet looks like if you've seen Gladiator or any kind of movie. It's kind of like, okay, you get what it it is. It's got this crimson crest, kind of like a mohawk. It's, It's very punk rock, right? And then you've got like these cheek flaps here, and you've got this thing that protects the neck. And really, the Roman helmet is a way that protects the soldier when they're in battle. We're gonna talk more about the design of the helmet and kind of how it all fits together, but you know, out of all of the pieces of armor that Romans carried, this is probably one of the ones that has actually stood the test of time. Like we still use helmets today, don't we, right? Like we, we all kind of know what helmets look like. We use them and see them on a regular basis. For instance, the football helmet, right? If you're a football player, you make sure that you've got your helmet on so you can kind of play the game well, you can protect the brain. The helmets are getting better and better and safer and safer over time. Or how about the motorcycle helmet? If you ride a motorcycle, you've got to make sure to put on your helmet, and this is fascinating, I just learned this, that the helmet not only will protect your head from hitting the pavement, in case that happens, it's actually aerodynamic. The helmet is actually there to make you go faster, it kind of reduces drag, I thought that was fascinating. And then, of course, there is the soldier's helmet, right? You know, today's Veterans Day, and so soldiers have these helmets, right, that kind of protects them when they're in war. It actually gives them a tactical advantage in battle. And you know, the the helmets that we give our troops, they're fascinating pieces of equipment. Like if you take a look at this helmet here, it's got room here for a night vision visor. There's actually a light on the side of the helmet where you can actually read in the dark. It can send out like a, a beacon if you're in trouble. The helmet also has the blood type of the soldier on there as well as their identification number. So if something ever happens to them, if they ever get hurt and they can't speak and let people know what's going on, they have all that information on their helmet. You see, the helmet is not something that's a, you know, an optional piece of armor or equipment. It's actually essential. They need it, and it's the difference between life or death, victory or defeat. In the same way, God gives us a helmet that we have to wear. We are called to pick up the helmet of salvation and to wear this, and it's not optional. We need this. This is the difference between life or death. It's the difference between victory or defeat. You see, in God's kingdom, there's a helmet law, and we got to put on the helmet— of salvation. Now, we see the helmet of salvation in the book of Ephesians. We've been studying it there, where uh, it's a letter written by Paul, who is kind of writing about the armor of God and how we need to put it on. In fact, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to me to Ephesians 6. If you don't have a Bible, we actually have a Liquid Church app. You can actually download the app, and on the app, we've got all of our sermon notes, we've got scripture, we've got group guides, all these ways that you can actually dig deeper into God's word and study more about the armor. Now, Paul, who wrote this letter to this church in Ephesus, he's outlining these six Pieces of armor. And so we've kind of been walking through those different pieces. And so today he talks about the armor or at least the helmet of salvation. And so here's what I want to do. I want to start at verse 14 and kind of review these different pieces of armor. So starting at verse 14, it says this Stand firm then with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then take the, say this with me, church, helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now in verse 10, Paul's talking about how we need to take a stand against the forces of wickedness, the principalities, and powers that come against us. And Paul says the way you take a stand is you strap on God's armor. You put the armor on so when the enemy comes at you, you stand in the armor so you can take whatever comes your way. But we learned last week that it's not just defensive. The armor is actually offensive. We actually put the armor on to take ground and to advance. In fact, Pastor Tim last week talked about the the shield of faith, right? how the shield of faith isn't just a defensive weapon against the flaming arrows of the evil one, but it actually helps us move forward. In fact, we looked about how the Romans in their time would form this thing called the turtle formation, right? It's like turtle power right here. And so what they would do is with their shields, they would kind of form these like, these like uh, put it in front of them, it'd be like this wall, and then they'd put it on top of them to protect them from any arrows that would come their way. And then they would march forward as a way of taking ground. See, God has called you to put on the armor of God. When you have the armor on, it helps you to advance and not just take the attacks of the enemy, but actually push back and take ground. You were made to win this battle. And that's what God wants you to do. So when you're at work and the flaming arrows of criticism and discouragement come your way, God says, stand firm in the armor. Don't let those flaming arrows distract you from your purpose and your mission. When you're at school and you're experiencing uh, the temptation to compromise your values, to compromise truth, what God is saying is to stand firm with the belt of truth on because culture changes and values may change, but I never change. And my ways are the right ways. And when the enemy attacks you with thoughts of anxiety and condemnation, with health crises or family emergencies, just remember none of this catches your Heavenly Father by surprise, amen? He's got your back. He is with you and in fact one of the names that god has that when these situations come your way you are not fighting alone because you're fighting with the divine warrior god is fighting with you in fact when we read about the armor of God, it doesn't first show up in Ephesians. Here's what's fascinating about this. It actually shows up 800 years earlier when, in a book called Isaiah, written by the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah is talking about God, who's seeing all this injustice and evil and racism that's going on in the world. And it says that he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. And so, God actually goes to war on behalf of his people. So, when his people are being attacked, when his people are being victimized and oppressed, God doesn't sit down and take it. God steps up and says, This will not happen. And he goes to war for us because he is the divine warrior who's fighting on behalf of his people. And he is the one that works salvation. He wears the helmet of salvation and he goes in to bring salvation to us. But if I can ask a practical question, maybe some of you are thinking this right now what do we mean by salvation? Like what, like, what are we being saved from exactly? Are, are we being saved from, like, you know, an angry God that just wants to, you know, spot us out? Are we being saved from, like, hell? I mean, do we even believe in hell? Like, are we being saved from death? I mean, we're all going to die. Like, what are we exactly being saved from? And I think that's an important question that we need to ask. Now, before I just kind of tell you what that means, I actually thought maybe I'll show you a picture, kind of share with you a story on what salvation means. Uh, I'm a big podcaster. I'm always listening to a podcast. and One of my favorite podcasts is one called Snap Judgment. It's, uh, it's not a Christian podcast, but it's a storytelling podcast. But they told this really interesting story that I thought it was fascinating about this family called the Eubanks. Now, the Eubanks, they're a typical American family, but they actually do a lot of things that aren't super typical. For instance, uh, their daughter, Sahail, she actually drives an armored ambulance in some of the craziest war-torn areas in the world. Their their two other kids are actually being homeschooled, living in these war zones, because David Eubanks, their father, feels like God is calling them to go to these places so that they can be a source of humanitarian aid. In fact, when ISIS took Mosul back in 2014, David Eubanks felt that God was telling them that they needed to go as a family there. And I want to show you this news clip that really kind of shows you this picture of a spiritual fighting force and what that looks like. Check this out.
1: Eubank will not call himself a hero, but what he did is truly heroic. His mission in Mosul isn't just about helping people as an aid worker, it's also about documenting life there on video. What he captured on camera earlier this month was like nothing he had ever experienced before. As an aid worker in Mosul, Iraq, David Eubank is used to being confronted by civilian deaths. But recently, he came upon a scene that was especially horrific. I see what turns out to be about 70 dead bodies. Women, children, guys in wheelchairs, shot dead in wheelchairs. And then, in the middle of that carnage, he saw something truly heartbreaking. I see movement, and then a little girl sitting next to her dead mother, hiding under the black hijab like this, and it
0: looks goes like this.
1: Despite continued attack by ISIS snipers, Eubank says he had to try to rescue her. Smoke dropped by Allied forces and firepower from Iraqi soldiers gave him the cover he needed. I thought, you know, if I'm killed, my wife and kids will understand. This is not bravado, this is not adventure, this is trying to save somebody. The rescue took just 12 seconds. The little girl was safe. It's believed her entire family was killed. Why did you do it? Love. And I remembered this scripture, greater love. As no man, he laid down his life first And you know, when you're out of your own strength, for me, I ask God, help me. Eubanks' family is aware of the dangers. In fact, his wife and three children were there in Mosul, choosing to be with him as he continues his humanitarian mission. His 16-year-old daughter, Saheli, helped comfort the girl after her rescue. Your dad told us that you said that if he didn't come back, you would understand. It's, well, it's because we all prayed about it. And imagine if, like, if one of your kids was out there and being shot by ISIS, wouldn't you want someone else to go out there and save them? So we're doing this for love.
0: It's an incredible story. You know, and David Eubanks, if you notice, before he goes out to save this girl, what does he do? He puts on his helmet, and he puts on his flak jacket, his breastplate, and he goes in to save her. And this reporter's going, what would make you do this? What would make you move your family from the safety of the United States to Mosul, Iraq? while the war is going on. What does he say? For love. For greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, this is what Jesus did. Except Jesus didn't just come to die for his friends. He also came to die for his enemies. Amen? In fact, one of the things that the scriptures teach us, Paul is writing this in Ephesians 2, is that we're actually all Strangers from God. We're estranged from Him and we're born of this world because there's this thing called sin that's come into our presence. And what sin does, it separates the creation from God. It it separates us from God. So we no longer have a desire to do the things that please God or the things that will actually cultivate a relationship with God. We actually do the opposite. We actually break God's laws, We, we kind of run from His ways. And we kind of have this posture where our back is turned to God, and we kind of keep doing what we do, not realizing all the destruction and pain and chaos and terror that is left in our wake. That is the state of humanity. And yet while we were in this state of rebellion against God, God sent his son Jesus to come into our world. See, David Eubanks, when he left his house that morning, the comfort of his own home, he, he told his family, guys, I may not make it back. And he goes and he actually steps right into the crosshair of the enemy. And that's what Jesus did. He left the comfort from heaven and came to the front line of our dark, evil, chaotic world. And he stood in the enemy's crosshair. And while David Eubanks was able to escape, Jesus did not escape the enemy's kill shot. And so Jesus was crucified on the cross, saving us from our sins. You realize that our sins have to be judged. You see, God is both a holy God, which means he's just and he's perfect, but he's also a God of love. And those two things are actually reconciled on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus absorbed our sin. Jesus took every wicked act, every wicked deed, every wicked thought that we ever had, every action that we had done that was evil, everything that we have done that we were supposed to do, but we didn't do, he took that on himself. He took that sin on himself. He absorbed all of it. And then he gave us his righteousness and his holiness and his blamelessness. And when God saw Jesus on the cross, because God must punish sin, punish, must punish evil. He punished Jesus, and Jesus became our sin, and the wrath of God came on him. And our sin, which was killing us, was extracted from us, and we found salvation from our sin. But it wasn't just from our sin that we were saved from. It was also from the enemy, Remember, we have a real enemy that has only one goal in mind, and that is to destroy us. In fact, in Ephesians, he's called the prince of the power of the air. You know what that means? It means that he actually, rules over dark, he actually rules over our world. He has control over governments. He has control over nations. He has control over institutions and political parties. He's got a hand and a foot in each one of those places. And his one goal is to destroy anyone that's made in the image of God, and that is all humanity. And so when Jesus steps onto this planet... The enemy thinks, here's my opportunity to destroy the Son of God himself. And he, on the cross, where Jesus tastes death, the enemy's like, this is it, this is my victory. But at that point, Jesus reversed the power of death. At that point, death itself became defeated. And death, which was once the final word, it was no longer the final word. The final word is life through Christ. You want to know what you're saved from? You're saved from the power of sin that is still soaking this world. You think of any evil that you see around you. You think of the evil of ISIS. You think of sexual assault. You think of corruption in government. You think of uh, mass violence and and just all these killings that are happening right now. You see, that is all because we live in a sin-soaked world. Jesus came to save us from sin but also save us from the power of the enemy. He rescued us from that power so that we could know Christ. We could have a relationship with him. And be reconciled to God. And once we're rescued and once we're reconciled, listen, we are still in this world. We are still in a spiritual battle. We still have to fight sin. And sometimes we kind of feel like we're against the wall against it, don't we? Like I think of that video where that little girl is is against the wall and the bullets are still flying past her because she can't move because enemy fire is still coming. Can I ask you this? What enemy fire has you pinned down? What enemy fire has you pinned down that's keeping you from moving forward and taking ground? See, for some of you, it could be addiction. I was just talking to someone, he's like, Nathan, I just can't get my head out of this. I just feel stuck. Even right now, I just, I feel this, this desire for more. And, and it could be an addiction to alcohol. It could be an addiction to drugs. It could be addiction to food. It could be an addiction uh, to, to even pornography. Whatever it is, it rules you and you're stuck and you can't get out of it no matter how hard you try. Or maybe it's, it's, it's not addiction, maybe it's regret. There's some things that you've done that you regret. Maybe it was an arrest. Maybe it was an affair. Maybe it was a divorce. And you still feel the pain every time you think about it. It's like the enemy keeps shooting bullets at you every time that comes, and it still feels fresh. The thoughts of condemnation, the thoughts of guilt, and the thoughts of shame. And so when it comes to thinking about salvation, God doesn't just save you from this state of sinfulness and from the powers of the enemy. He also saves you from guilt. He also saves you from shame. He also saves you and he rescues you from saying that all that stuff has the last word because the last word that God has for you is life and hope and a future. I love how A.W. Tozer describes salvation. He says this, that in reality, salvation was bought not by Jesus' fist, but by his nail-pierced hands. Jesus Christ our Lord surrendered in order that he might win. He destroyed his enemies by dying for them and conquered death by allowing death to conquer him. You see, Jesus went where no man or woman had ever gone before. He experienced death and then came out of it so that one day those who've been saved by him, who've experienced salvation, will go through death and come back. And experience resurrection. See, that is what Jesus came to give us. So when we experience salvation, we are called to take up the helmet of salvation and to put it on and to join with Jesus, to join him in bringing salvation to with others, to share the good news, to share the gospel, so that we have victory over the enemy and we can resist the enemy. And you know, sometimes we might need to pick a fight with the enemy. That's what God has given us through salvation. You know, when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, and he's looking at the Roman helmet, and he's, he's kind of checking it out, and he's looking at the different pieces. Like, for instance, there's this crimson crest. You ever wonder what that's for? Well, the Romans weren't super, like, they were, like, uh, vertically challenged, like myself. And so they would actually put these crests on them to give them a little bit of a height, to so give them a little more intimidation factor. And then there are these uh, cheek flaps here, and there's this little piece in the back, and this is actually used to kind of protect them from getting hit by the sword. So whenever they'd have a battle or attack, they were getting kind of chomped at with the sword, their helmet would actually protect them from being attacked when they would be in a battle. And what's even more interesting is when Paul is looking at the soldier with this helmet on, the soldier's not wearing the helmet. He actually has it on a sling on his side. And the reason is the soldier would never put the helmet on until they were about to go into battle. See, the reason for that is simple. The helmet is kind of bulky It's kind of uncomfortable. It's really not something that they they want to have on them. And so what they would do is right before they went to battle, right before they kind of were about to go into the attack, they would take the helmet and they'd put it on for their protection. And so when Paul says that you need to take the the helmet of salvation, what he's saying is it's a call to battle. Guys, you need to stand up because the enemy is coming after you. You are always at war. There is not a peacetime and then a wartime. We're always in wartime in this world. So Paul's saying it's time to stand up and go to battle against the enemy. Because the enemy wants one thing to do. He wants to get a kill shot in. The enemy knows that if he can get you here, he's got you. The enemy knows if he, if he can get that kill shot in, and he can get your thoughts, then he's won the day. And there's three ways that the enemy kind of goes after your thoughts. So, which is why it's so important that we make sure that we don't let the enemy get in your head. Why don't you go ahead and tell your neighbor that? Don't let the enemy get in your head. And he can get in your head in about three ways. The first way is by making you justify or rationalize your sin. Now, rather than kind of running away from sin or kind of avoiding sin, we actually uh, kind of justify it, right? Like maybe you're living with someone. You're living with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and and you kind of know that God has more for you, that God's got better for your life but you're like, I don't know, he's so nice, he's so kind, he's a good guy, he's actually the best guy I've ever dated. Maybe God will be okay with this. But guys, it's a lie. Don't let the enemy get into your head. Or, how about this? Sometimes what the enemy will do is he'll actually talk you out of taking risks that God has called you to. So remember last week, Pastor Tim was talking about active faith. He's talking about, hey, you need to move forward. Maybe you need to take that risk. You need to adopt or you need to foster some kids. Well, maybe you were in Liquid High School last week or you're a high school student last week and you heard the message. You're like, okay, I know what God wants me to do. I need to invite my friend from high school to, to the experience. I need to invite them to my small group or invite them to church. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to do it. You get your phone out. You're getting ready for the text. And as you're walking out the door, the enemy starts to whisper, do you really want to do that? Do not want to mix your church friends with your school friends? What if they say no? What if they, what if they start judging you for that? And then all of a sudden, you don't send out the text. You don't invite them. The enemy got into your head. He lied to you. He got you to kind of take, stop taking a risk for God. Guys, don't let the enemy get into your head. Or how about friendly fire? You guys know what friendly fire is? Friendly fire is actually when you shoot someone who's on your side. When you actually attack people that are actually trying to help you. For instance, maybe you've got, you're, you're upset with one of your kids and you take it out on, on your spouse. Or, or maybe you've got, you're have a parent with kids with special needs. And one of them's nonverbal and the other one can't be potty trained. And you're angry with the situation. And you start to take it out on your kids and you start to take it out on your husband. And, and you start to kind of give in to the hopelessness that you feel. But, you know, when you give in to hopelessness, it's breeding ground for the lies of the enemy and he's got a hold on you. And listen, it's okay to be angry with the situation, and it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to ask God, why is this happening? But don't let the enemy get into your head. Stand firm. He doesn't have a way. God is the one who's in control. God is using all things to work out for his good. Don't let the enemy get into your head. But listen, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in places where we've let the enemy get into our heads, and we start to think these thoughts like they're our own thoughts rather than the enemy and putting these thoughts in our head, right? We, we, we get stuck, and when we get stuck, we can't move forward with our lives. You know what it's like to get stuck. Have you guys have seen this viral video that just came out about, about Joey? Joey is this uh, kid he's like three or four, and he gets his head stuck in the banister. It's like, how do you get his big head in there to begin with? I don't even know, Right? But of course, like, you know, mom, when she sees us, she's like, I got to take a video. (laughs) That's, let's be honest, you do the same thing, right? It's like, and dad's like trying to get him in there and and Joey's like, no, it hurts. And dad's like, well, we got to get some butter, grease that head and pop it out, right? And so, you know, they're trying to get his head, but he is stuck and it does not look like little Joey is going anywhere for a long time. But this is what happens to us too. When the enemy gets into our heads, we're stuck. We can't get out. And no matter how hard we try or how hard we try to break free, we can't break free on our own. We are stuck. You can't do enough. You can't work harder or or believe more. You're simply stuck. The only thing you can do is turn to Jesus. And when you turn to Jesus, it's a way that you can renew your mind. It's only when you renew your mind that you can actually start to change the way you think about your situation and the world around you. In fact, I love what Paul says when he's related to the Romans. He goes, do not conform to the pattern of this world. By the way, one of your enemies is the pattern of this world. See, our world is actually structured and systemized in such a way where sin and wickedness are actually baked into the entire system, into the entire process. That's why there's so much evil. It's actually literally baked in. It's the pattern of this world. So don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? Say this with me, church. Renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, the patterns of this world, they they just want to squeeze you into its way of thinking. It's want to squeeze you into your way of behaving. It wants to squeeze you in its way into these limited beliefs so you can't get out. But God wants to transform you. He wants to break you out of any limited beliefs, any limitations so that you can be who he made you to be, so you can live out of the image of God, the way he crafted you from the beginning of all creation. You see, when you spend time with your heavenly father, he renews and he refreshes your thinking. Just the same thing that happened to Joey. See, Joey was able to get out because his dad was able to coach him on how he could think differently. Check this out. He just had to think differently. Right? How depressing would it have been if I never showed that part of the video, right? You'd you'd leave here thinking, what happened to Joey? But Joey's free. Because he was able to have his dad say, maybe there's a different way to think about this, Joey. And because he was able to do that, he found freedom. Guys, the situations that you're stuck in right now, God is waiting for you to come to him and see it from a different lens and when you see it from a different lens you can walk in freedom when the helmet of salvation is on your head the only way that happens is when we are reading and deliberating and kind of kind of digging into scripture scripture is kind of how we actually can refresh our minds and refresh our heads that's why for this series we wanted you in a small group because when you're in a small group with other believers you guys are getting into the scriptures you're asking questions about it, you're saying what does this mean you're kind of having discussions you're kind of going deeper in there in fact this week You're going to have a great time in your small group. And this week, you're going to go after some of those limiting beliefs, some of those lies that Satan's kind of embedded into your head. In fact, here's one of the questions you're going to look at. This is a great one. It says this, Confess the lies you've held on to, even though you may have heard the truth many times over. Are some of those lies areas you have agreed with Satan? By the way, if there are lies where you've agreed with the enemy, you've given him permission to influence you. So we need to get at those lies and break them off. Maybe you were told by your parents and others that you're not worthy of being loved and you have just resigned yourself to this. You may hear Pastor Tim tell you about God's love week after week, but you decide that this is for other people. It's not for me. Confess to God here that you have accepted a lie of the enemy and that you want to be free of this stinking thinking. Because here's the thing, if Satan can't send you to hell, if Satan can't have control of your life, what he's going to do is make you ineffective on earth. And the way he does this is he kind of plants these, these lies in your head. He kind of plants them through different things, you know, kind of like what this says, maybe it's from what a teacher said, or maybe an offhanded comment a parent, said, but he plants these lies in your head, and he makes sure that you have these experiences that kind of fortify them. It's called a stronghold. And what the enemy wants to do is he'll come close and he'll whisper them in such a way where you think, Oh, this is reality. I'm interpreting just kind of what's going on in my world. The enemy will come up to you, he'll say, plant lies like these, like, that you're not worthy. Like, think about all the things that you've done. You know, you've cheated on your income tax. You cheated your partner out of, out of his part of the business. You're not worthy of God's love or his time. Or he'll try to make you feel like you're unloved. God doesn't love you. I mean, you're still single. All of your friends, or they've moved in together. They've gotten married. They're having kids, and you're doing it God's way. What's that getting you? <laughs> why would you even do that? Or the enemy will make you think that you're unforgiven. There's nothing you could do to be forgiven. You've done too much. Your family won't forgive you. Your kids will never forgive you. So why would God Don't even bother asking. Or you're a nobody, you're unknown. You moved to this country, you you immigrated here for a better life for your kids, but no one gives them the time of day. No one cares about them. No one cares about you. Might as well just go back. Or the enemy will try to make you feel like you're insignificant. Your problems, they're just your problems. No No one cares about your problems. Everyone's got problems. Your problems are, are small potatoes compared to what's going on in the world. Or he'll say you're a mistake. There must be something wrong with me. I'm, I'm dysfunctional. You know, my, my, my parents said I was a mistake. My, my friends treat me like I'm a mistake. Clearly, there's something wrong with me. See, guys, when those thoughts start happening, that's when we need to kind of take up the sword of the Spirit. That's what the Bible is. We're going to talk more about that next week. You need to take up your weapons, the sword of the Spirit, and the helmet of salvation. And you need to actually draw a line in the sand that says, Satan, I've heard your lies. I'm not going to take them anymore because I am made in the image of God. So Satan, you may say that I'm unworthy, but salvation says that I'm holy and blameless. Amen. Amen. You know, the enemy might say that you're unloved, but what God says, what salvation says, is that you're loved forever. You know, the enemy might say that you're unforgiven, but what salvation says is that you're forgiven through Christ. The enemy may say that you're unknown, but Jesus has something different to say. What salvation says is you're chosen. The enemy says that you're insignificant, but salvation says that you've been raised with Christ at another level before the foundations of the earth. The enemy says that you're a mistake, but salvation says you're a work of art, amen? Amen. Give your God some praise, church. You're a work of art. You were made for a purpose. You were made to destroy the works of the enemy and the works of the enemy, the things he's done to you and your family. God has made you to break them down. So put on the helmet of salvation. We're going to war. You see, when you've experienced God's rescue, when he has saved you from the jaws of death, from the jaws of sin, from from judgment. See, he calls us to take a step to say, hey, we're identifying with this side of things. This is who I am now. And that's what we symbolize with baptism. What baptism is, is when we take the step to say, all right, God, I am no longer part of the enemy's rule. I am now part of God's rule and reign, and so I'm going to identify with that. I'm going to symbolically go into the waters the way of saying I'm dying to my old self, and I'm coming back up to say I'm a new man. I'm a new woman in Christ. I have been born again. Everyone who is a Christ follower, who's experienced the rescue of Jesus, needs to go and through the waters of baptism. So I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized Now's the time. In fact, December 2nd we're doing baptisms. You can go to liquidchurch.com baptism. I talked to someone in the last service and she said, Nathan, I'm getting baptized. I'm doing it. I said, praise God. This is your next step in your spiritual growth and your spiritual development. If you haven't been baptized yet, don't wait. Now's the time. Take a stand against the enemy and say, I'm standing firm. I'm standing firm because I belong to Christ. I've got my helmet of salvation on. See, we're called to stand firm, but maybe for some of you here, you can't stand firm. You can't stand firm against the enemy because you've been colluding with the enemy. You can't stand firm because you are still underneath the power of the, of the powers of darkness. You actually need to be rescued from the powers of darkness before you can stand firm against the powers of darkness. Maybe for some of you here, you're you're kind of thinking to yourself, I don't know if I can remember a time when I let Jesus rescue me from my sin, where I let Jesus rescue me from death. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever been saved? Do you have a helmet? Because in the kingdom of God, there's a helmet law. You need the helmet of salvation. You need to say yes to Jesus. That's really what it means. It's saying, I'm going to say yes to Jesus and follow him all the days of my life. And maybe you don't know if you've done that or not. Maybe you've never done that. It's simple. It's as easy as A, B, C. A is admit your sin. Guys, we're all sinners. We're born into a world that's soaked in sin. That's why there's so much death and violence and destruction all around us. And we're part of the problem. Admit your sin. Admit you're a sinner. But then believe in Jesus, that Jesus lived a perfect life. He he was 100% God and 100% man, and He came and He took your sin onto Himself, and instead He gave you His righteousness and His holiness and His blamelessness. So when God sees you, He sees Christ, He sees the armor of Jesus on you. And then commit to follow Him. It's no longer about you, it's no longer about what you do or how you can do things. It's, It's about Jesus. How does He want you to live? How do you live out as a new human being, part of God's family? How do you live as a new creation? Commit to follow him and then do it today. I know for some of you, have kind of been processing this for a while, but you know that now's the time. Don't wait. Begin this relationship with your Savior. Join him on his rescue mission to rescue all of creation. Because one day— He's going to come back and he's going to rescue us and he's going to rescue this broken world and set it right. So put on the helmet. If you want to begin this relationship with Jesus, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And again, there's nothing magical about this prayer, but it's just a way to kind of articulate what you're feeling and what you're sensing right now. So here's what I want us to do. All across our campuses, would you just stand up with me right now? Please stand up. And I want us to pray this prayer. Just repeat these words after me. Maybe for you, for the first time, you're going to repeat these, this, this prayer and it's going to be your step into God's kingdom. Maybe for some of you, you, you're, you know you're part of God's family, but it's never too, too late to get a refresher. So I want us all, in one loud voice, to say this together. Pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've turned away from you, and that's how I lived my life. But I choose to believe in you today. You're the only way to God. You're the only way for salvation. So I commit to follow you. Because you're the truth. Because you're the life. And you're the way. And I do it today. Because now is my time of salvation. Would you join me in welcoming brothers and sisters that have joined the family of God today?